Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast, where we unpack sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. I'm Bryce Johnson. Hope you're doing well today. Check out our website, unpackingit.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our weekday email devotional. We call it Unpack This. It takes sports stories, relates them to the Bible, relates them to our own lives so that we can be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to follow Jesus and become more like him. On today's show, we have two guests joining us. They are co-authors of the book, Faith on the Field, the Pastoral Ministry of a Coach, Tony Johnson and his son, Anthony. And so the the two of them are are coaches themselves, and and, and we're going to have just a great conversation uh, about coaching and their influences and, and why they wrote a book from this perspective and, and how really their faith has impacted their philosophy, perspective on coaching, and, and why it can be uh, such a, an impactful job and role. And, and then stick around after the interview, and I'm going to kind of take some of the concepts and this idea of a coach and, and make it personal and, and hopefully uh, provide a takeaway for all of us today. Before we jump into the conversation, let me ask you this. Do you need to get your own health insurance? Well, go to healthmarketgenius.com. Know your options. It's healthmarketgenius.com. Support them as they support us. So, Tony Johnson, the father, he's an athletic director and a coach with 27 years of experience in education and coaching. And this idea for the book is is basically uh, aimed to show the relevance of a coach in the life of players that will go on to become civilians, workers, future bosses, and future parents. When looked at from a spiritual lens, the coach is most equivalent to a pastor of a church congregation. So that's what they write about him and his son, Anthony. And Anthony, uh, he's also a, a coach, but he's... He's a teacher, and he's an independent filmmaker, videographer, and an author. Anthony's other books are Every Day a Scene, The Millennial Vision, and The World Soul, uh, all available on Amazon. So let's welcome on Tony and Anthony Johnson. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. Tony, how are you? I'm well, Bryce. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Anthony, how you doing? Good, good. Thank you. All right. Well, we, we appreciate it, and, and both of you guys are, are coaches. And, and so I want to start there, and even the book kind of starts this way as well. 
when did each of you first know that you wanted to be a coach and when did you know that you could actually do it? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I'll go first. Um, This is my 27th year in coaching and I knew probably eighth or ninth grade that I wanted to be a coach. My father had coached me all through little league um, was uh, obviously very much attached in in awe of my father. He was a, a former collegiate football player and loved the game of football and just a giant of a man and, commanded respect and so uh really saw the way young men at the time although I didn't quite realize what I was witnessing I saw the way young men saw him in the grocery store and said hey coach or you know he he just he was he was affectionately loved because of being the coach so in junior high I had another coach named Larry Largent and Larry was very much a fatherly figure and actually gave me my first job later years later but uh, gravitated towards Larry and the rest is history I knew I wanted to do that now Honestly, Bryce, there's always that piece when you're 14, 15 years old that says, hey, I might be an NFL player or a Major League Baseball star. So I still held on to that for another year or two. But then, you know, in the back of my mind, I kind of knew if the professional route never worked out, I was going to be a coach. I love it. That's awesome. Anthony, what about for you? So, I mean, obviously, I, I grew up around it uh, my whole life. I mean, we were me and my brother is a year younger than me. We were always with this guy. So we were constantly a part of the team and growing up in that realm. So initially, when I got to college, I majored in film, and I tried to – I think I kind of stiffed arm coaching a little bit. I knew I could do it, and I would, what's funny is there's a part of me that always wanted to do it. It came naturally to me. I, I would – you know, I'd kind of dip my toes. I'd help him at camps, or um, I'd come out wherever he was at, whatever school he was at, and help on Fridays. And then it just kind of slowly grew from there. I was chasing the film dream and making movies and doing videography and stuff like that, which I can, which I still do. And then at some point along the line, you know, I was like, I realized I love coaching. I love working with kids. Um, I started a permanent sub for him at one of his schools and, and kind of got helped out. And I, I realized um, this whole film thing that I'm chasing it, you know, I can coaching and teaching because coaches and teachers get so much time paid off and it would give me time and the freedom to still, you know, write scripts in the summer. So once I realized that I, I just kind of dove full in and, um, and I've been doing this for my first year full-time coaching and, and I love it. So uh, that that's excellent. And, and for Tony, how important was it, to have your boys a, a part of your coaching life. And, and you know, we, we see coaches all the time. It's it's such a big commitment, regardless of the level, even high school level, of course, up to the, the pros. It, it's time-consuming. It's mind-consuming. But but how important was it to, to make them a part of things? Well, first of all, I think it's an honorable profession, you know, coaching and, and teaching in general, honorable professions. And I think it's an honest living, and I think it's a, a ministry. So from that standpoint, I wanted them to do something with their lives that they would, A, be happy, uh, make a successful living, but I wanted them to find a way to others as well. Uh, That's the greatest gift you can give is to impact other people. And, um, you know, like I was reading today in in Romans 111, you know, how you have to encourage others and, and encourage yourself. And so I wanted my kids to be in a profession where they were encouraging others. But I never, to be honest with you, I never really set out oh my gosh, my kids have to be coaches or they have to do this. My other son works at the University of North Texas um, and is studying to be a college professor. He's very far removed from the coaching aspect, but they are teachers by nature. That That's very neat. Well, as far as, and I want to get, of course, into the, the book even more, but just as far as coaches that, that both of you have looked up to over the years and, and coaches that have influenced your your style and your philosophy and, uh, and approach to coaching who, who are some of those those people that come to mind 
to me, there's only one name that comes to me, and I mentioned him in the book quite a bit. It's Tom Osborne at Nebraska. Mm. I grew up uh, in Kansas City, but we were three hours from Lincoln. I had plenty of classmates and friends from a school I went to and uh, that went and, and went to Nebraska. And if you remember, when I grew up, the, the late 80s into the early 90s, Nebraska was a powerhouse in college football. And so, you, you know, like anything, you gravitate towards who's number one. Uh-huh. I never really liked the Sooners. And so I started to gravitate towards Tom Osborne, read everything I could get my hands on about the man. And uh, I really loved Marv Levy as well. Marv Levy was with the Chiefs. Uh, being a Kansas City native, I was a Chiefs fan. And I loved the way he held his head high and hung around. And of course, you saw what he did with the Buffalo Bills. Losing four Super Bowls is what he gets remembered for. But boy, getting to four Super Bowls in a row is pretty impressive. Incredible. Uh, no doubt. And so those two men, I would say, were guys that I loved. Marv Levy was a, a political science major, actually had a law degree. I'm a political science major. Uh, I like to read history. I like to teach history. And so to me, Tom, Dr. Tom Osborne and Marv Levy were the two growing up. Anthony, I mean, what about for you? Uh, well, from a, I mean, like a professional standpoint, as far as like a role model, I'd probably say Phil Jackson, as far as a coach, I just love the Zen vibes, you know, and he had to deal with so many identities and I thought he did well with balancing that, finding balance and, and being a, a role model in that way. But um, on a more personal level, uh, my dad, you know, obviously I, there's times I'll be on the field at practice and I do things and I'm like, that's my dad. Like that's, <laughs> but that's what he does. So I picked those up, you know, naturally. And then um, I, I look back to when I was in college, um, I was lucky to have two really good strength coaches while I was there. And the first one in Frank Wintrick, he's actually at UCLA currently. And so I picked up a lot from him as far as coaching and my style and, and my approach to kids. But then especially my the coach I had the last two years of my um, college career, which is Lewis Carell. And he's at Georgia Tech. And he actually wrote one of the essays in the book. So mm-hmm. he's another guy that you might have seen him. He, he kind of he kind of blows up on ESPN every once in a while off of social media. Just he'll, He's the guy that walks across the, the kids' legs when they're doing wall squats. Or, uh-huh. <laughs> he's, just, he's just a crazy mentality guy and high energy and um, – so I, I find myself emulating him a lot as well. That that's cool. Yeah, those those strength and uh, conditioning coaches, those guys are always the they're the most nuts in the in the locker room for sure. Usually, so uh, it's always nice to have a, a guy in your in your locker room that that brings that kind of intensity and, and passion for sure. Well, all right. So so you guys wrote this book called Faith on the Field, and and so I want to dive into that. But but I'm I'm curious first off, at what point did your faith begin to drive the kind of coach that you were Tony and 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 how did it affect your approach with the kids you were coaching so so at what point did that kind of become the the foundation and and what the lens that you viewed your coaching through that's a great question so in 27 years I've kind of run the game and you know, like a roller coaster you're up you're down you're high you're low I would say when I started out in a junior high you were I was very passionate and very excitable and moved into high school ranks rather quickly and tried to be maybe something I wasn't. I tried to emulate my high school coach, Mm. um, who was a legend in the Kansas City area, seven state championships. And I tried to be more like him or maybe my offensive line coach. And so you begin to develop who you are as a coach, but you start out emulating and acting like someone else. And I don't think that I was always um, as true to – how I wanted to be perceived as a Christian in my early days as a coach. I wasn't over the top bad or, you know, just this foul mouthed coach. That's not what I mean, but I wasn't as open and sharing of, Hey, the mission is you guys need to know Jesus Christ and you guys need to have a walk with God and you need to read your Bible and you need to live a good life. I hadn't gotten to that point yet. Although in my own personal walk, 
I was there, mm. I would like to think, but I was finding out who I was as a coach. And so it took me a while. I'm going to tell you the truth of it is I've always, even in 2000, when I was at a, I was at a Catholic high school, uh, at a parochial school, and I'm a Pentecostal. I'm an I'm a Assembly of God, Pentecostal, raise your hand, stomp your feet. Um, believer. And I was at a Catholic high school and I loved it. I loved everything about the fact that they could go to mass every day, that they could pray whenever you wanted in the classroom. And so I began to share my faith probably there more Mm. than any place else in 2000 was different. And then I started a string of coaching at some small Christian colleges, Graceland University, Bethany College, again, where it was very easy to share your faith and express uh, Christian views and, and concepts. But three years ago, three years ago, I walked into Chris Melson, who wrote a an essay in the book, and is also a former Oklahoma Sooner uh, national champion. And he, he, I have encouraged him to write a book, by the way. He's just now finishing his. But I was in Chris Melson's office, and Chris is on fire for the Lord. And Chris says to me, I don't, and he's just real blunt, t- typical Texas high school football coach. I don't care what they say. And he's at a large 2,500 suburban, I would say, a little more uppity than most schools. He said, I don't care what they say. I'm going to teach Jesus every day. And it's on my walls. It's on my posters. It's in my weight room. I'm going to teach Jesus every day. And if they want to fire me, then the good Lord will hire will get me another job. Wow. And he does. And he, we sat there for four hours, and then I, I was observing him. So you see what I, I was – I was observing him from an X's and O's standpoint. And what I left with was this guy's boldness for Christ – is like nothing I've ever seen. And at that day, three years ago, I said, that's it, man. I don't care where I go. I'm going to share my faith with my players. I'm going to talk about Christ. I'm going to tell them I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. Um, I'm going to remind them that they're the righteousness of God. I'm going to remind them that they're the heir of Abraham, that they have a place on this earth in Christ that makes them special. And uh, that happened three years ago, and I've not looked back. That's awesome. Wow, that's powerful. And, and so for Anthony, as, as you're – getting into coaching and, and establishing your yourself and your your philosophy where, where do you kind of what's your approach to incorporating your faith and and and, and being bold and, and and having that kind of impact on on your players yeah from a, I look back like the the origin of it really would be in high school when so I was in high school right when Tebow was going through Florida and so I mean as a kid it's just hard and I played quarterback it was hard not to like look up to that guy and and see everything he did and, and the way that he held his values. And so I tried to emulate that as much as I could. I, I mean, I've grown out of that since, but I, I can look back and, you know, through high school and college, that's kind of who I had mentally up in my mind as an image of like, how does it look to be a, a football player and still be a Christian and, and what, you know, the things you, the challenges you face in that way. And so I, I think that established the foundation of who I am now as a coach. I mean, God and religion and it's always been a passion of mine. Um, they're always a part of my life, whatever I'm doing. So I try to embody that and, and really just be there for these kids um, right now, just emotionally. I mean, a lot, a lot of these kids, they haven't heard positive feedback. They haven't heard, you know, that they're, that they're worthy and that they can do it, you know, and um, uh, you know, this iGen or whatever generation this is, they, they face a lot of mental stuff, mental attacks, mental adversity that you know, they just sometimes need that uplifting word. And so I try to be that and I try to embody that in my, in my coaching method with these kids and try to, you know, it's, it's hard to find a balance. You can't be their best friend, but you also, you can befriend them and, and open up to them about things that are outside of football. You know, and I, I try to show them I'm not just a football coach. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's more to life than, than that. So that's excellent. Well, I, I love, love the, the approach and the passion and, and cool to hear from, from both of you on that. And you put a lot of that into 
this book and and really grasping this this concept of, of comparing a coach to the role of a pastor who who oversees a, a congregation and and shepherds a, a a flock so to speak and and so how did you uh, I guess recognize this Tony and 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 how did you realize that okay I want to put this into a, a book and communicate this this concept and this parallel between the two. Well, it happened for me two places, and then I'm going to let Tony kind of tag team this because there was a third piece that just knocked it home. But uh, I, I was let go at a school I was the athletic director of in Bonham, I mentioned earlier. Went through a tumultuous exit there, not nothing more than just bad school board that wanted to make a change. And I was going to visit my pastor, as a lot of us will do. We'll seek counsel. I, I'm not shy of counseling with brothers and sisters that are, are of the flock and and can give you good word and good advice. And so I would go up on Thursdays and visit with my pastor. Uh, I go to a large church, Calvary Church, uh, here in Irving, Texas. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a mega church, but it's close. And there's about 5,000 members. I'm meeting with my pastor, and we're just talking and talking and talking, and I'm kind of down about things. And he says, every, this is him, he says, every Monday I write my resignation letter. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> and he, said, he said, oh, yeah. He goes, because the whole week is counseling, the hurt and the lost, budgeting, paying bills, outreach ministries, just conference calls, meetings. Then I've got to prepare a sermon that's got to win on Sunday. And I got to keep people coming back. Then the church is a business. And I think as Christians, we lose sight of that. If we, we sometimes just walk into a building that's clean and we, we walk in that door on Sunday at 9 a.m., we leave at 11 and we think everything should be perfect in that man's world. And he's a human being too. And uh, that really opened my eyes and, and we kind of shared comparisons of the same struggles that I deal with. And and as a coach, you know, I've got a flock, I've got a herding flock that I've got to counsel. I've got a budget. I've got to run as an athletic director. I've got bills that need to be paid. I've got a community that needs to see me at the booster club meeting at the uh, quarterback club luncheon <laughs> every week. And when they ask me, why'd you call that play on third down boy? <laughs> and so I I'm in the same boat. He is only it's a different ministry. Right. But So there was that. And so, as I said earlier, I'm a history major. I also heard a message from Pastor Tommy Nelson, who's in the book, about the history of sports in our culture. And I began to read more about that. And Tony actually began to investigate that himself in his readings. And then one night we were sitting on the porch, uh, kind of just shooting the bull, him and I, a father, son. And um, I'll let you I'll let him tell you what we discussed. But yeah. This this was powerful, and when he what, what he's going to discuss came into what I just told you about my pastor, we realized we had something. Yeah, so so I mean, he's a history guy. I'm a history guy. We love history, and so when you you look back in America, that people often misunderstand or kind of overlook the fact that like this word agrarian, we were an agrarian society, meaning we were primarily the, the primary cream of the crop was agriculture. I mean, that was the only way that people made a living. Um, there wasn't this is pre-industrial revolution, and so you got to understand that that's a completely different world than what we have now in, in modernity. And so in an agrarian society, you know, children, young boys woke up and you worked the farm all day with dad and mom. And, and if there was school, it was done at home and there wasn't really, you know, a public school to go to. We see that change. There's a pivotal moment in American history. When we become industrialized, you start to see mom and dad sometimes abandoning the farm. There's more urban areas now. People are moving you know, into the city from the country. Public schools start to get formed. And so now for the first time ever, uh, boys and girls are getting, they're growing up, you know, for the majority of the day, eight hours of a day at a public school where now the teacher and eventually the coach 
our surrogate parents in a way. And so we, we start off from that standpoint in the book, you know, when you understand it historically, there's great, there's great importance and there's great significance on a teacher coach because um, in a way that you are the surrogate parent from home. I mean, and it wasn't always that way. And so when you look at the, when you look at how it used to be, you can understand, Oh, wait, wait a minute. There's, there's a reason for this. And there's some importance to this. There's some weight and some responsibility to this role and uh, it makes it important. So that, that was kind of a genesis of when we were like, man, this is really something that's uh, important. We should write about. Absolutely, and 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 just knowing the the impact that coaches have had in my own life, and my dad was my coach for multiple sports, and so he's right up there as as the the most influential. But but other coaches along the way, uh, I've felt that in my own life. So I'm right there with you, and and so from from your guys' perspective as a coach, and, and Tony with with so many years of experience. Can you share some of the, I don't know, the stories that come to mind of, of impact where you know you left a mark on a, on a specific player off the field? You know, the, the, how you entered into his life and you were able to, you know, sure. assist and help him even change courses in, in his life. Yeah, there's there's plenty of those stories, and that's what makes this profession so wonderful. I, I want to say something. You're either There's three types of coaches. There, there's three C's. I call it the three C's. You're either called covert or clueless. Um, (laughs) And I'm serious on that. If you're called into this profession, you know it right away and others recognize it right away. If you're covert, you have a hidden agenda. You want to, you're there to harm kids or climb the ladder as quickly as you can. You're going to be found out as just as quickly as the other side. If you're clueless, you just don't know what this profession is about, but it seems interesting to you. There's a chance we can save you, (laughs) you know, and we can make you a called uh, into that called category. But I really believe that in my heart that I'm called to do this. I believe me, I've, I've, there have been plenty of days like my pastor said, or I write my resignation letter and I want to get out of this business and I can't figure out for the life of me what it is I would do. Mm. And I, I pray to God and I say, God, open a door, open something. You want me to do something else? Show me. And nothing ever appears. So I go, okay, I got you, God. And I move <laughs> on. Uh, one story to answer your question was not necessarily off the field, but the last game of uh, my second year or third year coaching, the last game, so this would have been about 25 years ago, I had a running back. We lost. It was our only loss that season. And in Kansas, you were done. You didn't get to go to the playoffs. So we went 9-1 and one and we were out. Uh, had to win that. You had to win them all to get in the playoffs. Kind of silly. But um, we lost that last game 19-11. to 11. I've never forgot the score. And we had every chance in the world to get down there and get those eight points, but just for whatever reason couldn't, couldn't seal the deal. And our running back was a kid named Joey Tregalis. I never forgot Joey. And I haven't talked to Joey 25 years, so I don't even know where he's at. So he's wow. listening. <laughs> no, but uh, I've said this story before. Joey was crying. Kids were crying. Season's over. There's that finality. You know, everyone's hugging. It's that moment of, oh, we won't have this brotherhood again. And I made my way around to Joey, and he had hugged me, and he said, you're the first man that's ever believed in me. Wow. Those were his words to me. You're the first man, not the first coach not the first brother or friend or it was so unique. The, the words he chose, you know, the first man that's ever believed in me. Mm. And uh, that at 25 or whatever I was, it broke my heart. Uh, and I know I wasn't sure of the severity of those words, but as I grew and reflected on them later in that, that year, that was the most impactful statement someone's ever said to me as a former player. Now I've, I've been to weddings of former players. I've helped encourage kids to go into coaching. Did one today. My former quarterback from Duncanville has gone back to become a coach and a teacher and asked me to, some advice today and asked me to make a phone call for him, which I did. A former player of mine that played at the university of Texas, I helped him get his first job. And so 
I'll, I'll see a lot of those situations. Um, lately, it's it's funny. I'll get a text or a, a message on Facebook from a former player, and it'll be someone you really didn't uh, maybe gravitate towards. Maybe it was the third string guard because I was a line coach, or maybe it was uh, the running back who uh, didn't really deal with you too much except in small pieces. But they'll send me messages and they'll say, thank you for being a great man. Thank you for being a leader. Thank you for showing us and believing in us and the words you would say. And you kind of just shake your head, Bryce, and you go, I can't believe that I had any impact on that kid, but you do. And that's the power of what we do as coaches. And, and, and you know, the book is focused on actual coaches and, you know, sports coaches, I'll, I'll say. But th- this concept of, of coaching, I think, translates to so many other areas of life. And there you are with your, your, your son and, and, the idea of being a dad is there, there's so many elements of coaching uh, a part of that. And, and so uh, either one of you maybe just speak to someone today who says, well, I'm not a football coach or I'm not a, a coach in the, the sports realm, uh, but maybe I'm a, I'm a boss at, at work or I'm you know, the leader of my home or I'm a Sunday school teacher or something along those lines. In, in what, I don't know, some of the, 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 the main concepts of this book, the main principles of this book, how do those translate? I mean, I would say um, at some point, even if you're not a coach, somewhere down the line, you're a shepherd. And, um, there, you know, there's a lot of, we talk about this all the time, but shepherds were some bad dudes. Like they, <laughs> I mean, they were out in the wild sleeping with their flock and they had to be able to fight lions and bears and stuff. So, um, and even if you're not, you're, you know, you're a part of a, it, I mean, if we could boil it down to the smallest significance, you're at least a part of a family where you could be a shepherd and start to stand up for um, a positive change and, and be a leader. So I guess to anybody that we would say it's, is what, what we're trying to say here is that um, there's as a shepherd, as a person who who can help lead, I guess we're trying to incite the, the fire of leadership in most people and help you realize that um, you have a responsibility. There's people that are looking at you, even when you don't realize people are looking at you, um, they are. And I get reminded of that all the time. I, through social media, I'll run into people that I went to college with. And they're like, you know, they don't ever like any of your stuff. They don't ever say anything, but you'll run into them and be like, hey, man, I've been watching you. I, you know, keep up what you're doing. That's cool. I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. So uh, I think more often than not, there are people watching you than we, than we realize. And um, it's really a question of like, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that uh, influence? And what are you going to do with that uh, ability to lead? And um, we're just trying to challenge people to, to wake up the field. Faith on the field is the field of life. You know, it yeah. really doesn't have to be a football field. It's 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 whatever playing field you're on right now. So, um, you know, you got to have some of the core principles we talk about in there. You got to have and start to implement in your life, whether you're a boss or a coach or no matter what you are. That's exactly what we were going after. And, and there's a great book. I can't remember the author right now off the top of my head, but it just, it's called, the book's called They Smell Like Sheep. And that was something that I had read prior to writing this book three years ago with Tony was exactly what he just said, the shepherding of your community and of your team. And it is, a like he said, it's a filthy, filthy job. And I think we, we have this illusion as Christians of Jesus walking in a white robe and a, all clean and, <laughs> and the sheep and um, you know, quoting scripture here, but I mean, honestly, it was, they smell like sheep was a great book. Cause it talked about exactly what he just said. You know, you got to fight for your family you got to fight for your flock and it's tiring and you can't give up on your flock. But one of the core, I think like little diamonds, I guess, uh, you know, little nuggets of knowledge that we give in the book is this concept that I know he's very passionate about, which is that you got to make the big time where you're at and, mm-hmm. and not everybody's big time. It's something we like to say. And I think, you know, this kind of plays into the next book we're writing. Yeah, but, we're uh, writing a second book. We are, but, uh, <laughs> oh, nice. um, 
everybody, you know, for the most part, people are ambitious. And if they don't act on it, they have ambitions that they'd like to see accomplished. And so often you can kind of lose yourself in the chase of those ambitions and accomplishing those things. And so not everybody's big time or making a big time where you're, where you're at is this, this concept that um, until you're able to do the hard work, the labor, the, the paying attention to the details um, and, and making where you're at now, currently where your feet are at, you can, you won't ever make it to the big time because you'll always be, there'll always be something else to chase. Mm. So you kind of got to turn inward and, and look around you where your feet are planted and make that the big time of where you're at. And that, that relates, that doesn't just have to be about coaches. That's, that's to anybody, anybody, any, in any profession. And, and we got that because, well, it's, it's, from, it's taken from a book by Frosty Westrain, as I mentioned in our book called Not Everybody's Big Time. And I, played on that title. Not everybody is big time, you know, and when I was a younger coach, as much as, and, and I, I speak to a lot of groups on this, it's, it's one of the things I caution younger coaches is don't be so quick to look for the next job. Don't be so quick to coach. Like, you know, in my case, it was Dennis Francione who I GA'd for at TCU. You be you and do you and let God move you when it's time for God to move you. And even at 47 years of age, which I am, I find moments where I'll, you know, Look, as he said, I'll look at social media or something and I'll go, oh, I should have had that. I didn't I get that job. Why didn't I get that phone call? And that relates to businessmen, lawyers, guys trying to sell the, the next great thing out there that are maybe listening to your show. We're speaking to a church youth group uh, in a couple of weeks and we're going to tell them the same thing. How many these little these young kids, 12 to 14, 15 years old, they look at kids at their age group that have great looking pair of Nikes. I want those Nikes or a purse, a girl. I want that purse. You know, as a coach, the data is disturbing. We're losing young men and young ladies at the age of 10 to 14 to sex, drugs, and this this, this idea of glamorizing self over uh, anything else to find themselves worthy. Mm. And so we're at a place here where we've got to, as coaches, as teachers, as mentors, as young pastors, we got to get going um, and try to enlighten these kids. 15 years ago, think about it. If my wife said, take my picture, I had to go buy one of those disposable cameras unless I had a nice camera. But oh, even yeah. then, if I took the picture, I had to have it developed, right? Yep. We well, didn't know how that picture was going to come out. You got what you got. Sometimes an eye was closed. Sometimes <laughs> they were blurry. Sometimes you missed altogether. Well, we've got these things now called iPhones. And how many times does your wife or my wife or even myself, I'm guilty, take a selfie. And if you don't like the lighting, if you don't like the way you look, what do you do? You delete, you take another one. Oh, I don't like that one. Delete, take another one. And so over time, you present a picture of your culture and of what you are. It's maybe not 100% truly who you are. Mm. And we talk about that in, the, in that chapter. Um, and it's kind of where we're going with the next book. That not everybody is big time. Um, don't get on the performance wheel. Mm. Uh, if, you, if you judge a performance wheel, you're just going to spin. Well, let, let's let's talk about that a little bit because I think with with coaching in particular, it is well just sports, and, and that's what we're all about here at, at unpacking it. But more than that, we're we're about following Jesus, and even in following Jesus, it becomes about performance, and and we can be so driven by performance instead of resting in Him. But but just from your perspective in in the the coaching realm and the sports realm. The, the trap of performance. What have you learned about that that trap, and, and and why are you passionate about you know speaking kind of a, a against that that mentality and and the dangers of it? What I learned about it is it can ruin your family. I'm very blessed and grateful to have a wife who has kept everything together. My wife is very different than I am. It's what makes us a couple. Very smart, very intelligent, but she's a great listener. 
And um, she's also quick to point out my faults. And I'm a driven, got to have everything now kind of guy, Burger King, right? My way right away, right now, the way I want it. And over time, I've learned to backtrack, relax, rest in, in him. And again, I, I struggle with this. You know, I still struggle with it, just not as bad. And that's why I feel so passionate about it, because I've watched coaches ruin their career. I've watched coaches ruin their families, go through marriage issues. Uh, I've watched coaches not have relationship with their kids. And I by no means am saying that my relationship with my family is just 100% perfect because nobody's really is. And it's something you have to work on. But my walk with Christ has strengthened. And because of that, I've been able to slow down, smell the roses, so to speak, and be cautious about this journey of coaching. And I think it is important to get the word out there to these younger coaches. I've hi- I'm in a place where I hire a lot of people. I'm the athletic director. So I'll get a kid who'll come in and he'll volunteer. I had one this year, fresh out of college, and he has a lot to learn. And when the year was over, he finished his degree and he called me and said, Coach, I'm ready. I know you have a wide receiver's job open. I want that job. I said, Coach, I'll give you a freshman job. You can learn down there for a year or two. And no, 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 I want to be the varsity wide receivers coach. I'm ready. I said, Coach, you didn't play college football. You've never coached. You you basically just, no, 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 I'm ready. And he literally turned down my job and was offended that I wouldn't give him the varsity wide receivers job. And, uh, and and decided to go work somewhere else. And it, to me, it's it's not that he won't be a great coach or he just wasn't ready at that point. And I think this generation has a, a real big sticking problem where they just, they, they want it. And I've been there and there's some pitfalls that I can help point them away from. Yeah, no, it's uh, that's a, a good perspective because we all want to achieve and, and get the, yeah, the marquee job or the one that we think that we're, deserving of and and all that but but i think like you were saying earlier anthony just making the most of of where we're at right now and and maximizing that and and then i think this this idea that you know when we know jesus and we can rest in his finished work it takes the pressure off of us having to perform and achieve and say all right look at all the great things i'm i'm doing even for the lord to say oh i'm doing i did this and this and this and 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 it's we try to earn our way, and we try to to prove our uh, our goodness, and and ultimately we're we're broken in need of a savior, and and we rest in in Jesus, in His righteousness, and His perfection, and our need for Him, and and there's freedom in that, and then out of that, yeah, we do our best, we work hard, and and it's amazing the fruit that we'll see and the impact that we'll have, whether as coaches or whatever job we're we're in, uh, to be able to influence and and impact others. Uh, so that they see Jesus shine through us, and and that's uh, that's what's so cool. So, anyway, sorry, I'm I'm getting no, pre- preaching it. here, <laughs> get me going, but uh, but that that triggered that in in my my spirit. So, um, so yeah, so the the book is called Faith on the Field: The Pastoral Ministry of a Coach. And I guess we'll kind of wrap up with this for people that that read this book, and I know you want to get it in, into the hands of coaches and, and just imagine the impact that this can have on so many programs at any level across the country and, and world for that matter. Uh, but what is the the heart and mission behind this in regards to when when a, a person finishes reading this book, what what is the hope that that both of you have for this book? I would say um, I hope they walk away with the feeling that you know. Um, coaching teaching or, or whatever profession they're in there is a there is a weight of responsibility to it but not in the, in the sense of a burden but in the sense of you have been divinely picked wherever you're at right now wherever your feet are at there's a purpose for it and there's a reason and so we hope you walk away from the book 
kind of going back to invigorated and realizing, um, you know, this is what you're meant to do. And there's a reason in, in these kids, every single one of these kids that you coach or interact with, as far as a coach goes, uh, is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to help someone, an opportunity to be there for someone. And, and really it's just, uh, I, I hope we're, we're trying to hope, we hope that people get invigorated. I think my dad had a, a former guy who got out of coaching text him the other day yeah. and said, uh, Hey man, I read your book. I finished it. And you made me realize why I loved coaching in the first <laughs> place. And he's like thinking about getting back in the profession. So that that's right there. That's, that was the goal for me. Was, yeah, was that was pretty that. cool. I would second that by saying, you know, look, there's a chapter in the book that talks about the train stop and Bill Parcells famously said the train stops for, for uh, all of us. We just need to know when we get off. And so there is a train stop in life too. And so you will be out of this profession sooner than you think. And so you want to make sure the relationships are positive and that you're called and that you're doing God's work and that, uh, but when it stops, it stops. And same thing with your, your your walk with Christ. And in today's climate and things that are going on, I don't think there's a better book right now that you can read. And obviously I'm biased, but we've got to make a stand for Jesus. We've got to make a stand for God. Um, and we're going to be asked to choose a side. And this is the side we're choosing to be on. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, we're excited that the book is out. It's done well. You can find it on Amazon or you can follow us on social media, Bryce. You know, I'm at I'm at Kickslide uh, on Twitter and assembly ol5 on instagram and so try to do both those social media platforms and you you'll find tony through those areas as well but if anybody wants a copy of the book yeah amazon's the best place to go awesome it's called faith on the field it's tony johnson and anthony d giovanni which is italian for johnson which i didn't even know so here i am a johnson john bryce (laughs) what's that d giovanni means son of john son of john there we go. That's what we are. So uh, so that's pretty cool. Well, guys, great to connect with you. Really appreciate you uh, coming on to, to share about the book. And, and, and always cool to see a, a father and son being able to uh, collaborate on, on something, and, and specifically a book, and pointing people to Jesus is, uh, is awesome. So thanks for, for joining us here on Unpacking It Today. Thank you, Bryce. Thanks for having us. All right. There's Tony and Anthony with us on Unpacking It. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. And we're back in studio to unpack the interview today with Tony and Anthony and their book, Faith on the Field, and this whole idea of coaches having a similar role as a pastor. And I, I think pastors are so important and so valuable, and, and God has called them to that role. And, and, and like Tony was saying, that, that calling to be a coach is, is a big deal as well. And when you recognize the purpose behind being a coach and the opportunity with being a coach and how you can impact and influence the, the the people that you're coaching, most importantly for eternity, what an honor and what a privilege to, to be able to have that role and, and to pull some of those similarities between coaches and pastors and and to carry the same kind of weight in, in, in many ways. To say, hey, if these people have been entrusted to me in my locker room, you know, players that, that I'm I'm coaching up and I'm challenging and I'm inspiring and I'm teaching and I'm equipping and and I'm invested in them personally, you know, not just on the field, but personally and, and, and what's going on in their life currently, but also helping them develop into who they're going to be 
someday. Absolutely, there's the mentality that's very similar to what a pastor has and, and how he views his congregation and having to inspire, encourage, equip, teach, meet people right where they are, but also help them develop their character and, and help them to become more like Jesus to, to move forward in life, to continue to grow. And, and so I, I love the parallel, and, and I love, you know, there's so many parallels, too, just with, with Jesus being our coach in many ways, too. So a, a lot of different directions to go with the metaphors, uh, with coaching and following Jesus and, and, and looking to him as our coach as well. And, and then just, you know, this idea that coaches have just the incredible platform when, when they're given a whistle, when they're given the title, when players are looking to them as examples, the, the potential that's there, the potential to harm players and to leave a negative legacy or a negative impact. And, you know, my brothers played, uh, they played more sports in high school than I did. Uh, and there was a coach that was not a great coach and he had such a negative impact on my brothers. And I look back and I'm just so bummed about that. But, but then, you know, there, there are other coaches that, that we had growing up that did have an impact on us. And thankfully my, my dad was our coach and, and he was awesome uh, for so many different teams and different sports. And, you know, look back fondly on that opportunity that, that I had to play for my dad and, and, and then also other coaches that, that poured into my life. And I've got a coach that, that coached me in soccer that's still a part of my life. He was just a part of the Man Up Charlotte Conference. Was one of the, the breakout speakers, Jeff Usher. Uh, he now has an organization called Be Their Dad. And so we're able to link arms and, and do ministry together all these years later. And, and then for me, I had the opportunity to coach myself. I, I coached a summer swim team when I was in college and hundreds of, of well, over 100 kids I, I coached. And um, to, to be able, one of those kids I coached as a 10-year-old, I ended up being his young life leader years later when he was in high school. And, and so that was a, a cool opportunity uh, that, that comes to mind. But so many opportunities as a coach. And for many of us maybe listening today, uh, many of you, that may say, hey, I've never been a coach. I'm never going to be a coach in sports. And, and my role at work isn't necessarily a leadership role either. I still believe the qualities that, that pastors have, that, that coaches have, that teachers have, many of those things we can still implement in small ways in our own sphere of influence, beginning with our families. We, we, we've got to coach our kids in, in, the, in the house and, and, and coach even the, the, the people that do answer to us. Somebody's always working with us in our jobs. There's always somebody that, that you, can, you have the ability to coach, even in small ways. And, and then ultimately, we all have the, the calling on our lives as followers of Jesus to influence and impact others for Christ, to point people to Jesus, to encourage people in the faith, to welcome people into the family of God and to tell them you know, who Jesus is and, and how much he loves them. And so there, there is that, that, that coaching element to that. That, that we're responsible for you know, the people that we come in contact with, especially those that, that we have deep relationships with, to make sure that we are an example for Jesus. And so a coach has that platform, that responsibility. But, but we do too, in, in different ways. We, we have 
our own platforms and and own conversations that 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 come up that that we either take advantage of the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus or choose to not say anything and maybe you'll miss out on that because someone was really craving to hear the good news of Jesus. And so it's uh it, it's it's fun to think about. I love coaches. I love you know I, I think of who are the greatest leaders in our country right now. I think a lot of them are coaches. Especially the ones that have been, you know, in charge of a program for so many years and you think about all the players that they've influenced uh, for years later and and some of some of those coaches that that come to mind have a lasting legacy from an etern- eternal standpoint guys like Tony Dungy I mean the, the number of people he's impacted is incredible so he's the standard he's he's kind of the the, the poster child for what a great coach is especially from a, a faith perspective um but but coaches man so valuable so I'm thankful for the work of you know FCA and athletes in action and they they do such a great job really ministering to the coaches so that then coaches can go and impact the players that that they oversee and and are responsible for so cool conversation with tony and anthony those are some of my thoughts just uh as we wrap things up and and think about some some of the topics that that came up today so check out the book faith on the field uh on amazon thanks for listening to the podcast today we'd love to know your thoughts how has a coach impacted you i'd love to hear from you bryce at unpackingit.com also if you are a coach and you've got some stories to share from your perspective. I'd love to hear from from you on that topic as well. Bryce at unpackingit.com. As always, we wrap up the show reminding you that I'm a sports fan who follows Jesus. I believe in the good news that he died on the cross for my sin. He was resurrected, and through faith, I have been saved by his grace. I hope that is true for you as well, and I hope you'll join me as we live life as sports fans who follow Jesus together. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Unpacking It podcast. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week.